You're listening to Film School, the on-air online source for independent film, film that's changing the way we look at cinema and the world. I'm Nathan Callahan. I'm Mike Caspar. On this program, we'll be speaking with Dennis Doris of Milestone Films and Ross Lippman, film preservationist at the UCLA Film and Television Archive. You can listen to this interview as well as interviews with Haskell Wexler, Harmony Kareen, John Sales, Guy Madden, Philip Glass, Frederick Wiseman, all those and many more online at filmschoolradio.com. That number again, filmschoolradio.com. But today, mm-hmm. Dennis Doris and Ross Lippman, mm-hmm. people will say, who are they? Yeah. Who are they? They're they're not Academy Award winners. No, well, come on. thank God for that. These people are doing God's work with film. Mm. They are being sure that the great films, the past and and most recent past, yeah. stay in good condition and are distributed so that people know about them. Uh, Dennis Doris is the co-founder of Milestone Films, which is located in New York, and uh, there's just how can I say buttload on? Uh, mm-hmm. You on can't radio? say buttload if you a buttload. You feel a little frisky a today? Go ahead and say buttload. Films, yeah, yeah. Uh, that milestone has been responsible for films by Alfred Hitchcock, Lucino Visconti, F. W. Murnau, Orson Welles, Louis Bunuel. Mm-hmm. That's nuts. It is crazy. And and uh, our other guest Ross Lippman, he wins awards for his fine work at the uh, UCLA Film and Television Archive. Uh, for uh, he's he's worked on the documentary The Times of Harvey Milk in in restoring that, which mm-hmm. is one of my favorite documentaries. For yeah. crying out loud, yeah, yeah. he's worked on the, the some of the films of Kenneth Anger, the the, the more uh, more popular films of Kenneth Anger, which is, which is <laughs> you, odd to say because <laughs> you mean the blockbuster Kenneth no, Anger? No, films. no, oh no, Kenneth, <laughs> Kenneth does some some interesting work, uh-huh. some fabulously interesting work. Yeah. And uh, just just beautiful stuff that uh, Ross Lipman has has brought back to its brilliant original form. Also, what you say? Well, why are you putting these two together? Mm. Yeah. Well, well I, beside uh, the fact yeah. that they've done so much to help preserve and restore and distribute films, uh, Mr. Lipman worked with uh, Dennis Doris on Milestones, Killer of Sheep, mm-hmm. great film by Charles Burnett. You let anyone jump on your brother again, and you just stand and watch. Boy, I'll beat you to death. I don't care who started what, or whether he was winning or losing. Well, you get a stick or a goddamn brick, get anything, and you knock it out of whoever's fighting your brother. Because... If anything was to happen to me or your mother, you ain't got nobody except your brother. With us today are two heroes of independent cinema and film restoration, Dennis Doros, co-founder of Milestone Films, and Ross Lippman, film preservationist at the UCLA Film and Television Archive. Doris's company, Milestone, is dedicated to researching and distributing the finest in moving image from around the world, from silent movies to contemporary American independent features, including films by Alfred Hitchcock, Luchino Visconti, F.W. Murnau, 
Orson Welles, and Louis Bunuel. Ross Lippmann has restored and preserved some landmark works of independent cinema, including The Times of Harvey Milk, works by Kenneth Anger, and Milestones, Killer of Sheep and the Exiles. Dennis Doris, Ross Lippmann, welcome to Film School. Thank you for having us. I just want to take this opportunity right up front to, to thank you so much for all the, the work that you've done. Uh, it's, it's just an in, incredible catalog that between the two of you, you've been able to uh, restore and, and, and get out to the public so that they can uh, appreciate. I, I'm sure you've given days of enjoyment to film lovers everywhere, and, and thank you for that. Well, thank you. Thank you. Now, now Dennis, how did the two of you uh, get together? Where, where did you first meet? What were the circumstances? Well, we both belong to the Association of Moving Image Archivists, which um, is an organization of approximately a thousand uh, people involved with the restoration of the moving image. And we met in Miami at the conference, nineteen. I'm sorry, nineteen ninety nine or so. Ross, wow. that sounds about right to me. Did you did you have a project, Dennis, in mind right then for Ross, or was this just a, a casual meeting? No, we were we had a mutual friend, and we just met um, as you do at these conferences. Yeah. Now, now, were you familiar with uh, with uh, Ross's work at that time? We were. Well, Ross had just started there a couple years before, and uh-huh. I didn't know. Well, what actually, I should probably uh, correct yeah. that. I had been working in the archival field at another archive um, before. I was. I currently work for the UCLA Film and Television Archive, uh-huh. where I am doing uh, restoration full time. I had been prior to that working at the Pacific Film Archive in Berkeley, which is a wonderful archive, and I was involved in, in preservation but not doing it full-time. So there, uh, I, people knew about what I was doing in a very small, specialized field of experimental film, oh. but it wouldn't have made it out yet. And, and uh, So I was just starting at that point okay, well, to do what I'm doing now. I'm kind of curious, what kind of experimental films were you doing up in Berkeley? You know, what were you restoring at that point? Was there a time well, period? Well, I'm, I'm actually, I should clarify, I'm also a filmmaker myself, and Ah. my main job, at I was working as an archivist at the Pacific Film Archive. They do not do as much preservation as UCLA. I was, in fact, their cataloger, but because I have the uh, filmmaking background and a very strong uh, post-production technical uh, expertise, which is what you need for restoration, they would bring me in as a consultant. Ah. And at that time, the PFA was working on films by Bruce Bailey, who's a quite wonderful experimental filmmaker. Now, when was the first time that you, uh, when, how did you get involved in restoring films, Ross? What was the first step into that field? Well, that was, for me, a combination of uh, different aspects of my interest. I have the, the technical background from making these very unusual special effect experimental films based around a machine called an optical printer where you re-photograph film, and to do that, you have to understand the properties of photographic film. But I also since I was a kid, had a great interest in film history. And so I was always attracted to the idea of film archiving. In fact, I worked in film archives more or less since I finished film school. But uh, the two areas began to really oversect in my mind, and I just made it a point to find a way to get into doing film preservation, which is a very specialized end of the film archiving world, because you need to combine these two backgrounds which don't normally go together, and uh, there's very few people who are able to, to get in there. And I just set my mind to it and finally inched my way in. So I was kind of dabbling in small projects with the PFA, and I was also doing uh, some projects for the San Francisco Cinematheque and New York Museum of Modern Art as a freelancer uh, at that time prior to working for UCLA. 
Now, uh, you say, uh, Dennis, you got together in 1999. Uh, when did work begin on uh, Killer of Sheep? When, when did you bring uh, uh, Ross into that? Actually, it's the reverse. Ross can t- tell you. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay yeah, we, we trade off. Uh, Killer of Sheep, I did bring to Dennis. He has since returned the favor well over many times. Uh, but Killer of Sheep was a project that I can't take uh, initial credit for starting either. It was already on the dockets at UCLA when I arrived. We had received a grant from the Sundance Institute to preserve American independent cinema. Now, UCLA was traditionally known as being the best place for the restoration of Hollywood cinema, and that's uh, great, uh, but my main interest was always independent, experimental, uh, European, and art cinema, and so it was a very a wonderful confluence of events in that right when I was hired, they had just received a large grant to preserve independent film, which no one was quite sure what to do with. I mean, there were a lot of ideas, but no one had a real clear sense of where to go with this. And it was perfect timing, and uh, Killer of Sheep was already on the dockets because Charles Burnett had attended UCLA. And the great thing that happened with Killer of Sheep was that, you know, some of the films I work on, they're so powerful in themselves that Whatever I do, it doesn't matter. People are going to, with Times of Harvey Milk, people are going to be weeping no matter what I do to it. With Killer of Sheep, the uh, raw material as photographed by Charles Burnett was incredibly beautiful, but no one knew it because the old prints had been made so terribly. And with a little bit of printing expertise and uh, technical uh, skill of the sound work at the laboratories, I'm right now as we speak at the sound laboratory audio mechanics where we did the work on killer of sheep and i'm very indebted to john polito who's an absolute genius in sound restoration we work very closely together over every technical detail to prize out the detail in the original and for killer of sheep i think for a lot of people it was like seeing the movie fresh even those who were familiar with it because all of a sudden there was this whole world unfolding on the screen that people sort of sensed was there but hadn't really been able to experience before and anyway that's only part of the equation. I, I will give Dennis a chance in a minute. I'm leading into that now. <laughs> Pre- preserving the film is only one part of it, but getting it out into the world is another. I don't know how to do that. Dennis is the best there is. And very fortunately, I had made his acquaintance in Miami, and I thought no one in the world will be able to do as good a job with Killer of Sheep as Dennis Doros and Amy Heller of Milestone. And so I called him and casually mentioned that, oh, by the way, I've just finished Killer of Sheep, and maybe you'd be interested in it. And sure enough, he was, and Dennis can take over the story from there. Well, I remember slightly different that we were just chatting about a lot of things when I said, what are you restoring? And he said, oh, Killer of Sheep. And I said, oh, well, that could be, too. <laughs> yeah, I do remember <laughs> having you in mind, but maybe either, either whichever, story, however way it went. Either story is just as true. And I said... <laughs> I would be interested in what's Charles Burnett's contact information. And Charles has had, I shouldn't say a long mistrust, but a wariness of film distributors. And because many of his films that had come out were not distributed correctly, and I'm not saying we did it correctly, but we did our best. And um, Ross was really the one who introduced us to Charles and said, you have to talk to Milestone and... Um, he's really the one who helped Charles get over this idea that, um, well, just to go with Milestone. Now, we've heard from Ross about his introduction, his sort of personal history with film preservation and restoration. Dennis Adoros, I want to ask you, how did you come to create Milestone film and video 
and what what is what is the genesis of the company? Oh well, it's all based on a lie. <laughs> um, it really was. Yeah, uh, everything started. Yeah, I all, all the great a, films. Yes, right. Sorry. Exactly. Um, you know, von Stroheim did I can, uh, <laughs> and there's a tie in there. Um, when I left college, I had run the College Film Society, and so I knew how to run a 60 millimeter projector and how to splice the film together. And when I got the job at Kino International in 1984. Um, my boss assumed I knew something about post-production, and so we did a Chaplin, Charlie Chaplin series. Um, that all I did was edit some music on and badly. I did a terrible job, in fact. But then he had came to me and said, do you know, um, we just acquired Queen Kelly and Sadie Thompson. And I had known the films a little, and I said, well, for Queen Kelly, we just we should really get it back to Von Stroheim's um, ideal. And he said, you can do that? And I said, sure. And that's where I lied. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he actually were, he couldn't afford getting production uh, equipment or anything like that, so he sent me to the lab in New Jersey at the time, uh, John Allen, Inc., where he taught me how to cut, John taught me how to cut negative, taught me how to uh, time, taught me a whole lot of different things that I use later for archives. And I enjoyed the process so much, and the results were mixed. I was still inexperienced at the time, pretty young. Um, but I really loved it a lot. And when Kino started doing everything on video for the VHS market at the time, in fact, that I got a little discouraged, and I asked my boss if I could acquire films on my own. And with a copyright expert, David Pierce, we started Milestone as a hobby. And I met my future wife about six months later, and she is a uh, she has her master's in history, and she really appreciated the idea of this. And so she came in on it, and since we decided to vote, devote full-time to Milestone and uh, David couldn't, uh, Amy and I became Milestone Films. Yes. Now, what was, just out of curiosity, what was the first film that Milestone got involved with? It was going to be the films of Cecil D. DeMille, but um, we couldn't get that connection with uh, Cece DeMille, the um, daughter or granddaughter, I can't remember now, um, at that time. So I went back to my original idea, which was basing it on uh, Kevin Brownlow's book, The War of the West and the Wilderness. And the wilderness section where people from 1900 to 1930 or so uh, went out into the most dangerous uh, conditions to create films really fascinated me. So the first acquisition we actually did was Marion C. Cooper and Ernest B. Shudsak Chang from Thailand. Uh, just to kind of shift gears a little bit here, well, how long does the process take? If you, if you find a film that really needs restoring and, and, and you want to distribute it, do, do you set a timeline in your head at all about how long you think this is going to take? Or have you been <laughs> had the experience that setting a timeline is, is futile and that you just have to yeah, that goes. By nature, I'm a very impatient person, but in business, uh, we've gone after films that took us 15 years to acquire one film. Wow. Um, and I tend to say, when I get it done, I'll set the release date then. But um, the last restoration that Milestone did ourselves, Araya, took, I think, two months. Uh, and I'm sure we wow. could have worked longer on it, but this is, you know, what our finances were. We paid for it ourselves. 
I want to ask Ross, uh, th- there are some startling statistics about the, um, the amount of films that have been lost since uh, the silent film era. And even in general, I heard the statistics are 15% of all silent films are, are all that remain of the total that were, mm, that were produced. Yeah. Is that mm. right? Well, you know, I'm, I don't keep up with statistics. Okay. I read different ones all the time. Yeah. Dennis might have a more up-to-date uh, uh, notice uh, of that than me, but I, I don't keep up with those. I know that it's quite staggering. And that, and that 50% of all films made, period, have been lost. Yeah, quite well. Quite a few films, obviously. Yeah. Now, when you when you Ross, I mean, h- how do you? What's the criteria? First of all, l- can we make a distinction here? Is what's the difference between preservation and restoration? Oh, well, that's a, a great question. And if you talk to thirty archivists, you'll probably get thirty different answers. I like to use the answer that UCLA had come up with for itself because it, it works quite well for me. We actually distinguish between several different areas. First of all, you would start with conservation, which in our own internal terminology is where you store existing materials in appropriate conditions, which means cool and dry. And that just preserves the, the item that you already have as an artifact. Preservation would be straight duplication onto a more modern material, you know, presumably a polyester-based film stock, which does not de- deteriorate as does uh, the earlier film bases. That's the film base is the material on which the image was held. The, mm-hmm. It's a clear, a clear base made of, of either nitrate, cellulose nitrate, acetate, or polyester. So preservation is just straight copying. Restoration comes when you need to, uh, when you have inferior material that is damaged or in some way flawed. It could be missing some scenes. It could be scratched. It could be uh, dirty. We're obviously talking about film here. And so what you then do is you find multiple copies of the same film and you piece together a new complete copy, which is one, you know, has the same uh, content integrity of what the original was supposed to be, which obviously involves historical research because that's often up for dispute in itself, and also has the best uh, image and sound quality. So you piece it together. That would be re- restoration, which is what I focus my work on. Dennis, is the, in terms of uh, films that you want to acquire and you know um, are difficult to restore to get to their original condition, is there sort of a holy grail? Is there a is the Magnificent Ambersons considered sort of the holy grail of, of films that could be restored, or is there is there a is there a, a group of films or one particular film? that you just pine for? Well, see, Ross and I sort of think alike. That's why we get along so well, is that <laughs> we aren't interested in the ones that everybody wants okay, or everybody thinks of. Um, Paul Feos is lonesome, and his films are some of the ones I would adore distributing. Um, there are some animation films I'd love to bring out. Um, there's more on the exploration side um, with Chang and Grass and Taboo and all those that I'd love to do. Um, this my father keeps saying, why don't you distribute Casablanca? And, <laughs> you know, besides the fact that that is not going to happen, um, it's just not our interest. Um, it's just not what we do. So, Is there is there more of a mark? Is there more out there on the international scene that uh, internationally made films that, that uh, 
did 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 anyone do a good job of holding on to films? Did the international film community do a poor job, a good job of, of keeping their films around? Did the Americans do a good? What's sort of the grade you would give uh, around the world? Does oh my lord! Um, well, that's partly of what EMEA um, concerns itself with is some of the major film producing company uh, countries um, are very good, and some of them like India and Japan, weren't and are just catching up now. Oh. And yet there's a whole third developing you know, nations uh, category that still lacks the resources and money and the training to help their uh, archives. And that's one of the things EMEA, the Ford Foundation, quite, uh, the World Cinema Foundation, which is Scorsese's new foundation, has been built around to help developing countries. You know, I'm just going to, as long as I have the opportunity here, I have, I have a question that uh, well, it might seem off the wall, but I'm going to ask it anywhere. Um, Bill Morrison uh, produced a film called Decasia, which, right. which is about, uh, well, not about, but it is spliced together fragments of old, unrestored films that are in decay and in disrepair. Uh, how do you react? That's not quite accurate. He actually transferred it to video first and then went back to film, I believe, or at least okay. in some cases. So it's not just original film fragments. Right. In fact, almost in almost all cases, it would be duplicates of them, and then in some cases, uh, video back to film, too, I believe. What's it like for you to watch that? I mean, are you identifying different forms of decay, or can you bring yourself out of it? Do you feel sad watching some of these images? What's oh, well, actually, again, that's my background. I, you know, you, the thing to understand about Decasia is that uh, Bill Morrison is only the most well-known of a huge tradition of people working with decay and deterioration of film. Uh -huh. That was the one that popularized it. Uh, Bill is wonderful, and it's quite a fun film. My joke is that the title, which comes from... Fantasia, Disney's Fantasia. It's uh -huh. the Disney version of the Decay film. I don't mean that in a bad way. I, I love Fantasia, <laughs> but it's the one that really brought it to the masses. And uh, But it really goes back much further than that. One of the uh, earliest practitioners that I can think of is uh, Stan Brackage, who in his song 48 was using uh, mold patterns on film as uh, actual uh -huh. abstract patterning. And so I love that whole tradition. And you know, there were other people who worked with other concepts of deterioration to uh, film as garbage, as found objects. So, and that goes way back to the, at least the 50s. So people have been doing this for a long time. Right. It's, it's a fine tradition, and I love it. I <laughs> love right. the abstraction of it. And in some cases, just as Bill Morrison does, I find the abstraction in many cases can be more interesting than the original film. But yes. it depends on one's perspective. And obviously, in other cases, it would be totally inappropriate, and you want to get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. so. Now, uh, before we let you go, did you have something, Mike? Well, uh, just a couple real quick things. Uh, Dennis, I wanted to ask you about a little bit about the business model here in in terms of uh, the distri distribution of these films. Is is this uh, – have you become better and better about uh, where, you're, where you're getting these films? Uh, is, the, is the public accepting of uh, and, and hungry for these kinds of films, I guess, is my question. Oh, well, the film business term itself is an oxymoron. Uh, no film, independent film distributor is a good businessman, and very few businessmen make good film distributors. And I'm not smart enough to have a business plan or what we're doing. The problem with the film business is you're entirely dependent on timing that is beyond your control. 
Um, when you open a film, did the critic for the New York Times have a good date or a bad date the night before? Um, are they, didn't they have, did they have, not have breakfast that day? Um, and I'm not picking on the Times, I'm picking on just the general terms. We had um, Araya open in Tennessee um, on Friday, and they had their biggest snowstorm in 10 years there. And needless to say, nobody went to the theaters. There are so many varying factors that go with film distribution that you never know what to expect, and you can make money on three straight films in a row and lose it all on the next film. Mm-hmm. Um, so to say that we know what we're doing is we have experience and we take good guesses, but we never know what our next hit is going to be. And we've had marvelous surprises where we never expected um, mm-hmm. to make money. Can I ask you, what's, what's the next film that uh, Milestone is releasing? We are going to be, well, right now we just opened up Word is Out, which Ross restored, um, the 1977 gay lesbian documentary, which is just wonderful. And it's got tremendous press in New York this week. And after that, we are doing the films of Lionel Rogerson and Vittorio De Seta, who is a documentarian in uh, Italy. Very good. Well, and Ross, you're working. Can you tell us what you're working on right now? Is that secret, or are you? <laughs> uh, well, no, no. I'm I'm currently working on a wonderful project uh, called Wanda, which is uh, by oh. Barbara Loden, who is known by many as uh, being the famous actress who was married to Elia Kazan. But she directed one film, and it's fantastic. It's a real lost gem, and we're very lucky to be partnering with our partners at the Film Foundation and their subfunders, actually Gucci. Uh, they have a wonderful charitable program, and they're funding uh, our, the UCLA restoration of Barbara Loden's Wanda, which will be premiering at the Venice Film Festival uh, this late this summer. And, and real quick, it, because you always need money, is there a way for, for our listeners to, to contribute uh, in the restoration of some of these films? Is there, a, is there a foundation that they could write a check to for UCLA? Well, let me answer, and then let Dennis answer also. At UCLA's end, uh, you could definitely contact uh, the UCLA Film and Television Archive, and also uh, if it, uh, large donors could approach uh, probably the Film Foundation, but also UCLA. I would start with, obviously, I have to tout the home camp first, so right. I would start with the UCLA Film and Television Archive, but there's so many wonderful organizations out there, including Association of Moving Image Archivists. I don't know if they set, accept grants, but Dennis can talk about that and other or- organizations. Dennis? Uh, yeah, Mia is going to start setting up grant money, hopefully in the next year or two. Um, but there are many uh, archives around the country, local and national, that are wonderful. UCLA is the one I happen to donate to, so um, I can't <laughs> I can't say that you would go badly by going to there. Uh, the other thing is that if you have a real passion for a specific film or a real passion for silent films or anything like that, you can find the film you want to. Restore. Um, there is a retired librarian in New York. I've met, used this ex- example last year, who loved Colleen Moore, and he's personally paid for three restorations of Colleen Moore films. Um, so you can really make a difference with very little money. All right. Well, it was great having both of you on today on our show. Uh, you've done a wonderful job of bringing great and even obscure films to the public and and and, and giving them something to rejoice in. Dennis Doris, Ross Lippman, thanks for being a part of Film School. Thank you. For more information about Film School, upcoming guests, and archived interviews, go to filmschoolradio.com.